Welcome to Process to Profitability, a podcast all about the tools and strategies you need to serve your clients and grow your small business, hosted by me, Samantha Mabe of Lemon in the Sea. Join me as I chat with creative entrepreneurs and small business owners about how they built and grew their businesses and how you can do the same in a way that fits you. Let's get started. You're listening to episode 154 of Process to Profitability. Brand is such an overused and misunderstood term. Even as a designer, I hear people use brand to refer to so many different things, which is why I'm excited to have Rima join me today to talk about building a magnetic brand. We jump into what that means and why a brand and a business aren't the same things. We also talk about the most important pieces of building your brand and mistakes entrepreneurs often make when identifying their target audience, a huge piece of the brand puzzle. Rima also shares tips on using your brand throughout your marketing for consistency and results. Rima Ahmad Falala is a serial entrepreneur most passionate about helping other business baddies magnetize their brands to the right audiences. She is the founder of her own digital consultancy, The Remix, and the co-founder of Arabize Media, a digital storytelling brand for Arabs in diaspora. Rima graduated with her MBA from the Michigan Ross School of Business, where she was named Entrepreneur of the Year in 2020. When she's not scaling her businesses, Rima is visiting family in Lebanon, Dubai, and her hometown, Dearborn, Michigan. Hi, Rima. Thank you so much for joining me today. I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and how you got started in your business. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So my name is Rima. I am the founder of The Remix, which is a digital consultancy that magnetizes brands so that entrepreneurs can stop chasing and start attracting their ideal clients. So I actually, this is my second business. I founded my original business, Arabize Media, in 2018, and that was kind of my first entry point into um, just the entrepreneurship space. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really learned really quickly was just the idea of um, just the, the power of identifying who your target audience is, and more importantly, who they aren't. And that's kind of what I specialize in with, um, you know, with the remix. So I'm from Michigan, specifically Dearborn, Michigan. And now I currently live and work out in LA. Awesome. So how did you end up starting a business instead of uh, going a more traditional route? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually got my MBA in 2020. I graduated in 2020 and most of my classmates were pursuing a more traditional route. Thankfully, I went into my entrepreneur went into my business school career knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I think when I boil it down to why entrepreneurship over, you know, the um, the starting salary of like $120,000 that my classmates were, were making. It was really the idea of having more ownership over my time and ultimately just over what my purpose, like how much time a day I can spend towards what I believe to be my purpose versus building someone else's purpose. And to me, it was just a no brainer. I think obviously it's different for each person, but entrepreneurship to me enables me to build out my own schedule and my own journey and not feel like I'm spending time away from what I'm truly passionate about. Yeah. So many entrepreneurs that I've talked to, a big part of why they get into business is to have that time, freedom, flexibility, time to spend on the things that they want to do. 
and I think that that is such a cool thing. And what I'm seeing is that more and more people are spending less time in their business and really trying to like get those hours down, but be really intentional about how they do business. Absolutely. So today we're talking about a magnetic brand. And I know brand can kind of be a confusing term for people. They don't really know what does what that really means, but can you explain what you mean when you say a magnetic brand? Absolutely. So first I want to kind of go over quickly the difference between a brand and a business. They do overlap, but not every brand is a business. And unfortunately, not every business has a brand side to it. We'll get to that <laughs> in a second. So not every brand needs to be a business. The quick way to know the difference is just, do you have customers or not? And if the answer is no, then you are building a community, you're building a brand, which is a great thing. Um, but you're not necessarily a business yet. However, I would say, um, you know, some business, every business in my very humble opinion needs to have a brand side, especially in this day and age, you need to have a strong brand, um, something that people can connect to. And if you don't, you're definitely leaving money on the table. And so when I say um, every brand is, I'm like getting confused with my own words right now. So when I say <laughs> that every brand, every business needs the brand, but not every brand necessarily needs a business. That's what I mean. And so when we go into what magnetic branding really is, the simple way to describe it is if you're doing more chasing and less attracting in your business, then it's probably a brand problem. A lot of people hear the word brand and they think logos, typography, color codes, you know, even photos. And that's really like a tiny slice of the branding pie, a really small slice of the branding pie. Branding is really what connects you to the right audience and it boils itself all the way down to values, which is what we're definitely going to talk a lot about today. Why do you think that businesses have been resistant to having a brand? Do you think that more people are realizing that that's an important piece of the whole running a business and marketing and all of these things? Yeah, I definitely think with the way that digital marketing is right now and is undoubtedly going, people are starting to recognize that they need to differentiate themselves from their competition a lot more, which is great. I think the reason that it was overlooked in the past is number one, because a lot of people don't really know what a brand means. Again, back to our last point, I don't think they understand truly what makes up a brand. Uh, and number two, I think it is the idea that they don't realize why people make purchase decisions. They think it's because there's a great product and they just like the product, but okay, that's cool. They like your product, but if somebody sells your same product or service and maybe at a lower price point, what makes them loyal to you and not that other person? And I would even argue what makes them loyal to you at a, at a premium price point than somebody who is positioned at maybe a, like a more discounted rate. And it's really truly brand. It's the way that you make them feel about themselves. It's the uh, life that you are giving them hope to have, like to have one day, you know? And I think that that's something that is hard to quantify or even it doesn't feel as tangible as other elements of our business. And so some of us are tempted to overlook it and it shows. Yeah, I think that's so helpful. And it's so 
important to think about a brand because when we buy, especially if you're buying from a small business, you are buying from that person or that company, that story that they're selling more than the exact product. You can buy a candle anywhere you want. The reason that you chose the place that you did is because of all of this other stuff that goes into it. That's such a good point. Yeah. One of my professors, actually, I was in a brand strategy course and one of my professors said something really interesting. And he said that the value perception just needs to match up from the moment that they decide to buy to when they actually experience your product or service. So if I'm coming to your candle shop, for example, and I'm really gravitating towards it because of the story, because maybe the founder is someone who talks about something that means a lot to me. And I really want to support that business. And obviously, you know, I I have a need for this or want or a need for this candle. As long as the um, value of the candle is like, I have a perception that um, I have a certain value perception of what this candle is going to do. As long as it just measures up to that, and doesn't dip below that when I actually go home and light the candle, and you know, then, then you're fine. That's great. And now you have a return customer who's loyal to you, not because the candle is great, but because the candle was good enough and the story <laughs> of the brand was great. And that's something that I think might piss a lot of people off because we do as entrepreneurs take so much pride in the quality of our services and the quality of our products. When in reality, that's not actually what's getting people to come back or be loyal to you it's really the feeling that they have transacting with that business or founder yeah I think that's a really important thing to remember even to think about the fact that you don't have to have the absolutely perfect product or the best thing out there you just have to connect with the right people and then give them what you've promised them and what they're expecting exactly absolutely So when we're building a brand, we really want to think about all of these pieces. What are those important things we should be thinking about when it comes to branding and setting ourselves apart? Yeah, for sure. So number one, always and forever is who is my ideal customer? I'm sure that if you're listening to this, you may or may not be rolling your eyes because you've heard this so many times, but honestly, sometimes things are cliche because they're just true. Who is your ideal customer? And I would even go so far as to say, who is your in-ideal customer? Like, who are you not trying to attract so that you can preserve your energy from trying to convert people who you're actually not trying to attract, right? So get clear on who that person is. And then the second most important thing that, that should happen in parallel is getting clear on you. What are your values as a business or as a, well, as a brand? What are your values? And where can you, the third part from there, once you get clear on both of those things is where do those two things overlap? So if I've listed out five of my most deeply held values, and I'm now looking at this like ideal customer avatar, where is the sweet spot where those two things overlap? And how can I really communicate that middle ground? And that middle ground is what turns your brand magnetic. We can talk about content strategy. That's really where your content strategy lives because when you speak to that area where you and your ideal customer overlap, you're telling people that like, I get you. And if you feel this way, come over here. If you don't, you don't have to come over here. But people are scared to say that when in reality, when you make statements that are speaking to people's values, they trust you so much more. And that's when you start to become magnetic and attractive to the right customers. 
I would love if you'd share a little bit about how you kind of figure out what your values are and what those core values are, because we hear lots of things thrown around, but if they don't really resonate, that's not going to help our brand to grow because it's just going to feel off for us and for other people. That's such a good question. So I love this question because I'm sure so many of us have seen certain values that are just so overplayed. And I think the reason that they're overplayed sometimes with these big companies is because when they list their values on their website and it says like kindness, empathy, compassion, inclusivity, we roll our eyes, not because those aren't great values to have, but because we don't believe them. So it is so important to be real and honest about what your values are. And the best advice that I've heard, this is actually, I think, from a Harvard Business Review article, so I can't take credit for it. Um, but this advice was that your values should be painful. And what that means is you should put a stake in the ground. And these should be things that are hard to uphold 24-7, which is why they're so important and they set you apart from other people. And so I'll give you an example. My One of my values is, I call it refreshing realness. I just want to be honest. And so I will get up on Instagram and confess things that maybe other people might not confess. And some people might look at my content and cringe that I said I couldn't afford this website that I invested in earlier this year because people aren't always admitting stuff. And it will definitely turn certain people away, but it will definitely attract the right kinds of people towards me who appreciate me for having this value of transparency or realness or vulnerability or however they are perceiving that value, right? And so I think that's a perfect example of values that they are definitely going to be painful at certain points in my life. There will definitely be things that I do feel compelled based on my value systems to share with my audience that might not be super comfortable. And so the reason I feel the need to say this is because it is probably impossible to stick to more than five values all the time. And that's why when you have this standard of like, these values should be painful to keep, that's why it kind of like automatically pairs them down to like three to five things that you can stand by pretty much all the time. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think that really helps us think past the, my brand is friendly and my brand works hard and, and you know, we care about our clients. Like it's yeah. got to be more than that. And you have to be willing to turn people away with your values. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the article actually refers to those values, the, the like my brand is friendly and like empathetic as the, um, I'm trying to remember the exact words, but it's basically like the non-negotiable type values or the <laughs> pay to, not pay to play something within those words of like, these are the DAW values. Like, yeah. yeah <laughs> and that's not going to elicit, if you think about that, like even as a listener right now, you're all listening to that. I'm sure that like a, a value of um, just my brand is friendly didn't elicit a lot of emotion for you. And that's because you kind of expect the brand to be friendly for you to even want to yeah. like, follow <laughs> that page. And that's what you should be thinking of is like, if this didn't elicit any emotion for you, then it's not going to elicit any emotion for your customers. And you have to be willing for that value to elicit negative emotions in the wrong people. And that's okay. Awesome. I think that's really helpful. And it makes us dig deeper and, and maybe get some 
just a push forward to step into those values that we probably have, but we're afraid to really put the stake in the ground on. For sure. For sure. All right. So when it comes to target audience, you said this is a huge piece of branding and building a magnetic brand, but I think a lot of people get this wrong. So what mistakes do you see entrepreneurs making when it comes to identifying their target audience? Okay. So the first mistake, I do want to preface these mistakes by saying that I don't think I've ever met someone who got it right the first time. And what this really speaks to is the fact that you're constantly learning about this audience that you want to target. And so even if you have a picture or an idea of who you're trying to target, the way you speak to them and the way you even speak about them is going to evolve over time. So I will get into my mistakes now, and I'm going to be brutally honest. The number one mistake is that people are terrified to narrow down the people that they actually want to work with. And it's rooted in scarcity. You don't believe there are enough of the type of person that you're trying to target. So you feel like you need to like widen it a little bit and generalize a little bit so that you don't turn away other people, even though those aren't the people you're trying to target. I'm a perfect example of this because I started a podcast in 2018 for Arab American women living in the city of Dearborn, Michigan. Like, I don't think you can get more niche, more niche than that. And everyone said that I was crazy. I called the podcast Dearborn Girl. I'm actually wearing a sweater. It's like a a cute DG logo for my listeners out here. So um, people thought we were crazy. They're like, why would you narrow it to just Arab women? Or why would you make it focus on this city? There's Arab women all across the United States. And guess what happened before we even released the first episode of this podcast, we were just promoting it for two weeks on Instagram. We were featured on ABC News, which is a national news station. So it's the story of like how this hyper local niche podcast went global by the end of it. Actually, we were featured on seven different news stations, five national, and then two were actually global news stations. And I love telling this story because it's a really good counter argument to people who believe that when you niche down too much, you are narrowing yourself down. The reality is when you have a memorable niche, you can go viral much faster. And I use the word viral loosely. Like really all that means is people can refer you because you're memorable. They remember what you do. They remember who you serve. It's not just this like fluffy statement that doesn't like, it's just hard to remember, hard to talk about, hard to you know, refer back to later on. And so mistake number one is definitely being too scared to narrow down because you don't think there's enough people out there that you're trying to target. Mistake number two, building off of that would be focusing too much on demographics and not enough on what's called psychographics. And that's really just a fancy word for value and what pain points these people have. And the things that their passport or driver's license won't show you. I I definitely have made that mistake in the past where I'm like, again, even with my recent example of targeting targeting Arab American women, that that was honestly not niche enough. I wasn't just targeting Arab American women. And in my business right now, I'm not only targeting overbooked service providers. It's more than that. I don't want every overbooked service provider to work with me. I want people who have who share similar pain points as what I'm trying to, you know, alleviate. Or I want people who have certain beliefs um, that are similar to mine to come to me. And I think 
those are really, really the magnetic parts of your messaging and your marketing is, okay, cool. Like, I know I can check off that I'm an entrepreneur, but what is it about your service or your business that really gets me behind the label? And I found that even as a consumer, the people that I decide to hire, it's not because I'm confident that they target people who on paper look like me. It's because they know what I'm like Googling all alone in my room at two in the morning on my phone. And they've shown me that through their marketing language. I think that's really helpful. And I love, you know, your example of your podcast of niching down and even getting smaller than that. So for me, I can be a website designer for whoever needs a website, but I don't want to work with, you know, a dentist's office or the auto shop down the street. Like I want to work with a very specific group of people and we have to be willing to say that and step into that because then all those people who say, I need a website designer. Oh, I know the perfect person for you because they, they help the people that are doing exactly what you're doing. Absolutely. I love that. And the fact I, I like know your um, marketing statement just because it is memorable. That's a real life pain point that like different people within your target audience have experienced. And the fact that I can even remember that within the sea of like so many other people doing similar things means that your messaging is hitting on something deeper than just my identity as an entrepreneur. Once we've really narrowed down on our target market and we've worked on our values, how do we combine those two into our marketing and use that brand to really consistently show up online? Yeah, for sure. I love that question. Um, It is through content marketing, digital marketing, and the way that it's done is really not as complicated as we try to make it. It's through content pillars and your content pillars really, really are um, created through the lens of your values as a brand. And that's something that I see. I see two huge mistakes in just digital marketing and content pillars and, you know, showing up on these various platforms. The one mistake I see is people um, only feeling like their audience cares about their product or service. So this, it's funny you mentioned the candle earlier because that's always the example that I give. And it's like the page that's just filled with candle pictures or reels of like making their candles, constant visuals of candles, right? And it's like, okay, I love that I know that you sell stuff. That's great. But in like the 99% of the time when I don't need a new candle, why am I still following this page? Or maybe I'm, I feel bad unfollowing it. So that's why I'm following it. But why am I still engaging with this content? So that's one mistake is just constantly like bombarding your audience with the fact that you sell a product or a service. The second mistake that I see is actually literally the opposite. And it's being scared almost to promote your business. And I'll get to like how to find your middle ground in a second, but I do see a lot of other pages who are posting lifestyle stuff or are posting like stuff that maybe their audience is engaging in, but they maybe feel like they will look too salesy or spammy if they are promoting their services. And the one thing I will say, if you identify on this side of the spectrum with this is people, if you, let's say you post the same call to action or the same like quote unquote promotional post seven times in a row with the way that social media is today, people are more likely to not even see one of those seven posts 
than to see all seven of them. And that's just something to keep in mind if you feel awkward or like stressed out that you're being too quote unquote salesy, you're not because chances are you think people are seeing this all seven times that you post it, but they're not. They, you're lucky if everyone in your audience has seen it at least one time. So the way that I advise kind of showing up somewhere in the middle is to have at least three content pillars. And actually this is something that I, um, I do a free magnetic content pillars call, and this is something you can apply for, I'm sure in the show notes or even um, in the link in my bio, I sit with you for 30 minutes. We come up with three content pillars. One of them is definitely a promotional content pillar. The whole point of this 33.333% of the time is for you to be promoting the service or the product that you sell, right? But then that leaves like 66% of your content. What am I supposed to do with that? That's where you can get really creative about your audience's values. I was super risky um, with mine because I, uh, you know, I talk about being Arab in one of my content pillars. And I'm like, people are either gonna love this content pillar or just not care about it at all. And it's actually led me to like the most follows, the most DM conversations, the most content engagement on my story posts. And it's because people feel that they can connect with me about something, whether they're Arab or not, by the way, something outside of just this stuff that they do know I sell. And it has led to me having customers within 24 hours because they resonated with me on such a deep level about a hot take I had about something to do with my culture or my community. And I just want everyone listening to know that like those things matter. And that is how you become memorable is by sharing certain things about yourself, but strategically in a way that is kind of, um, you know, within that middle ground or overlaps with something that your audience cares about. Yeah. I find that most of my most popular posts are the ones that I make about my toddler and about life love that. as a toddler mom because so many people in my audience relate to that and they they like to see what a hot mess it is sometimes but it makes them feel like seen you know I actually had one of my one of my clients talk to me about that and ask me that specific question is like she um she sells child she literally sells children's books and she's like, is it weird if I talk about just things that I do with my kids? I'm like, why would that be like, you're literally your target <laughs> audience are people with kids in order for them to buy your book. Like they have children and what better way than for them to like, you're going to, you're going to need to build that trust even more so than anyone else, because they're going to be putting your content in front of their child. Mm -hmm. So if they see that, like your philosophy on raising kids, maybe aligns with theirs they're definitely going to feel a lot more comfortable purchasing your children's book because they like you and they trust you. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it, we can do that. You know, some people are not going to be comfortable putting their kid on video and, and that's totally fine. But, you know, you've talked about, you really have to find something outside of just the thing you sell that also resonates and is, is important to you because that's what right. your values are going to be. For sure. So is there anything that you want to share about building a magnetic brand or target audience that we didn't cover? No, I think one thing to just reiterate is like messaging is really the most important part of your brand, like understanding your identity as a brand and learning how to communicate that 10 times out of 10 will sell like 
before you even need a logo that you're obsessed with. And I love logos and I'm obsessed with my logo. So I'm not like, I'm not going to hold you up, but I, I don't want people to, especially if you're in a situation where you need to make your first, whatever that like milestone is that you need to reach before investing in visual branding, you know, um, really get clear on who you're trying to target and how to talk to those people. And all of that is free. And you could do that for free and that will lead you your first client or your first sale. And even more than that, in order to then invest in all of your visual branding elements. And one thing that I can say, having gone through that process is your visual branding is going to be so much better and you will be able to better articulate that to someone doing that for you when you understand who your target audience is and who you are as a business or a brand. That's so true. All right, so we always wrap up with the question, if you could recommend one thing to a friend, what would that be? Yeah, so the thing that I constantly recommend to friends and they're constantly thanking me for is the book, Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. It is the best book for business owners or honestly for anyone who constantly feels like their schedule is reactive instead of proactive. Obviously, it's always going to be somewhat reactive, but if we can minimize the amount of days where we're just reacting to whatever's happening in the world and get more, you know, um, I guess, proactive about it, then why not? And so this book very much so reads like a workshop. I actually just reread a couple chapters two days ago, even though I've read it over a year ago, just so I can kind of like refresh my life and, um, learn how to delegate the things that are no longer within my zone of genius, learn how to automate certain things in my business. He talks through all of that. And the whole purpose of the book is to get you doing more of the things that you actually love doing and feel a lot of purpose in and less of the things that drain you. All right. So if people want to connect and find out more about what you do and branding and all of the things that you're up to, where can they do that? I am most active on my Instagram. So you can follow me at I am the remix and that's spelled I-A-M-R-I-M-I-X. I am the remix on Instagram and you can hit me up there. I'd love to talk to you in my DMs. I also have the application for the custom magnetic uh, content pillars in my bio. Um, so you can definitely head over there to, to apply for that as well. Awesome. And we will link to that in the show notes as well. So people can check it out. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I loved this conversation and I really think that it's going to help people think more about what they're doing with their brand than just the surface level and the visual parts. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was definitely a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Process to Profitability. Please take a minute to leave an honest review in iTunes so that I can help more small business owners and creative entrepreneurs find the show.